Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager, joined in the studio today with some of the organizers for a teach-in and March for Unity and Solidarity. The event's taking place on Friday, January 20th at Old Main. With me today are Suzanne Dovey, Associate Professor of the School of Government and Public Policy at the University of Arizona, Phyllis Tawa, Associate Professor of French and Francophone Studies at the U of A in Tucson, and Dennis Preventure, Professor and Head in the Department of French and Italian and Affiliate Faculty at the Institute for LGBT Studies. What was the impetus for a teach-in? You don't hear about teach-ins that much. As we were contemplating the incoming administration and how our lives might change, how America might change. We were just thinking about how to proceed as intellectuals, as professors, as citizens. My friend Susie Dovey, who's here today, said that we might consider teaching our students how to organize nonviolent protest. And I thought that was really a compelling idea. And then the idea for the teaching actually evolved as a conversation, absolutely a conversation. Susie and I talked about a teaching. We talked about different topics. Then we got into conversation with Monica Casper, and the idea of the march was added on. And then once we added the march, we thought, well, then maybe a concert. And then Leanne Hernandez was brought in from the YWCA. That's the core committee, Susie Dovey, Monica Casper, Leanne Hernandez, and me. And then there's a a number of professors from across the University of Arizona campus who are participating in the teach-in. It evolved through conversation. I think the real issue was there's a lot of uncertainty and fear about what this new administration is going to bring. So thinking as a political scientist, what does the Tucson community need to know about? And we don't know if Trump is really going to follow the formal and informal norms of being a public servant. And because he's had no experience as a public official, it really is uncharted territory. And so as a result, you know, how can citizens really evaluate whether the United States will be great again if they have no sense of history about the Ku Klux Klan? or racism in the United States? Or how can you think about whether Islam is a threat if you're sort of thinking through these concepts that are wrong and illusion? The conversation was, what do citizens really need to know in order to be able to, one, live up to democratic ideals, but also to protect our democratic processes? So, for instance, one of the things which Dennis is going to be talking about, it's not just knowledge, although that's why I think the speakers are predominantly professors from the University of Arizona. We're also thinking about things like how to report a hate crime or how to engage in nonviolent disobedience. One of the things to imagine is what happens if ICE comes to a classroom and wants to deport a student? What should the response of other students be? What should the response of a professor be? What should the response of the administration? How do we want to participate or not participate in potentially unconstitutional laws? As Susie and Phyllis said very well, uh, and as a newcomer to the University of Arizona, what I've learned is that uh, faculty are teaching the future citizens of the country. And 
One of the missions of the University of Arizona is a a statement about 100% engagement of our students who become future citizens. And I feel it's our responsibility as instructors in the classroom to model what it means to be a citizen and also to give students the tools to think through their own choices as they maneuver their own path through school and into the public life where they're going to be working. You know, my research is on language and sexuality. And as Susie had said, hate crimes and hate speech often go unreported. And the research in language and sexuality kind of builds out of a body of work in language and gender, which already from the beginning had a very feminist way of thinking about the world. And sexuality, language and sexuality is another paradigm to help us think through the silences within the media, within public discourse about certain minority groups that get erased or that uh, become subject to kind of symbolic violence through verbal and nonverbal aggressions. And using everyday speech in our classes, I think, is an effective way of showing students how to read the world around them and also think critically about the way that people are talking about various groups. I agree 100% with what Dennis just said, and especially the idea of 100% engagement with our students. And that actually has two dimensions. Definitely, we have to, you know, cultivate an active sense of citizenship among our students. And I think also, you know, the U of A is a land grant institution. So we have a duty to engage the community, more broadly speaking, but they're of the same piece, right? They're very similar in terms of our mission to the student body and to the community in Tucson, more broadly speaking. That is why our lineup of speakers for the teach-in is varied. And if I could just go through and say what we're covering, it would be a good idea. So at 9 o'clock, Judith McDaniel will be speaking on the importance of an informed citizenry and the public voices of activists, the importance of public voices for activists. At 10 o'clock, Janine Relly will be talking on fact-checking and journalism. At 11 o'clock, Enrico Trevisani and Zaira Livier will be speaking on youth organization, DACA issues, and sanctuary status. And DACA issues, for those who may not know, deferred action for childhood arrivals. So what other people call dreamers, um, students who are enrolled in school. At noon, Maha Nasser will be talking about how to deconstruct myths of Islam. At one o'clock, Nina Rabin will be talking about immigrant rights and the United States law on these issues. At 2 p.m., Twena Stepto will be talking about the history of the KKK and white nationalism in the United States. At 3 o'clock, Denis Provencher and Annette Joseph-Gabriel will be talking about hate speech, what it is, where it's happening, and how to report it. And at 4 o'clock, I, Phyllis Tower, will be speaking on organizing nonviolent protest history dynamics and how to do it. All of these issues are relevant in different ways. They intersect, but they're part of, you know, a university's role in educating students and the public more largely. This is Suzanne Dovey. As a political scientist, one of the things that we know is that the reason you need democratic forms of governance is because that people disagree. 
If we all believed in the same thing, it would be no problem if we had a monarchy or an aristocracy. We need democratic procedures to fairly adjudicate between political conflicts because we have differences. And one of the things that increasingly find is that we live in our own echo chambers. You know, I feel like students can spend the rest of their lives talking with people who agree with them. But the university is an opportunity to learn how to be a democratic citizen because you're forced to talk to people who you disagree with. And I think one of the things that's been really horrible is how our politicians have been really poor models at describing people who disagree with us as our enemies. Democratic citizens are not enemies. They're opponents. They disagree and disagree passionately. But at the end of the day, it's really important to peacefully disagree. And I think that's why we have the nonviolent piece, which is empirically, you know, there's always debates like which is more effective, going violent or going peacefully. And one of the things is if you want sustainable political change, the reason nonviolent campaigns work is because you actually have to reach out to the broader community. And I think that's what the teaching is trying to do. We're not trying to preach to the already converted. We actually want people to think about how can you identify when a democracy has gone wrong. One of the things I look at is how totalitarian governments are increasingly using democratic institutions as a way to reinforce their legitimacy. That means democratic institutions are a form of domination, not a system of legitimization. And so we need, just like we need citizens who have math and science deals, we need citizens who are able to talk past their political differences and do so in an informed way. That's why I think um, Jeannie Riley's discussion about how do journalists distinguish facts from opinions and when opinions are not news, like this becomes crucial for knowing when do you need to contact your representative, right, or march or resist unjust laws. And you can't assume the media is going to be manipulating you. It's not just thinking critically. It's actually being a constructive problem solver that's crucial. And I think that this teaching is designed to not just think critically, but to think constructively. You're listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. My guests today are some of the organizers and presenters of a teach-in and march for unity and solidarity. The teach-in is taking place at Old Main from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Uh, on campus. Again, that's Friday, January 20th. And joined in the studio by Suzanne Dovey, Associate Professor of the School of Government and Public Policy at the U of A, Phyllis Tawa, Associate Professor of French and Francophone Studies at the University of Arizona, and Dennis Provencher, or Provencher, Head of the Department of French and Italian and an affiliate faculty at the Institute for LGBT Studies. Realistically, do you feel that the people who are going to come to this teaching are going to want to be educated or have differing viewpoints? I'll answer that. I've been teaching 20 years. And when you first start out, 
I think a lot of the emphasis is on yourself and your preparation and you're very self-absorbed in terms of how to be a teacher. As you progress over, you know, two decades of teaching, I think you become more attentive to the students and to what they want, what they need. And in the last year, I have felt as an instructor, as a professor, as an educator, the need to create on my D2L, my desire to learn learning management system, a file called Civic Engagement, Notes on Civic Engagement, because when these issues come up in the classroom, my students perk up, they're interested, they want to learn, they want information. I mentioned, for example, the history of the Electoral College. A historian at Yale University has a book out on the Constitution, and there was a very informative piece in Time magazine on the history of the Electoral College, and I referred to that in course of conversation in the classroom, and my students wanted to read it. Would you send us a copy? So absolutely. I mean, in my experience as a teacher, being becoming more and more attentive to what my students need and what their interests are. I think they're interested in informed discussion. I think they want to read the facts and to be exposed to a range of views. I also say to my students that, you know, in a classroom, there are a number of students. This is picking up on what Susie just said about democracy and disagreement. I tell them that, you know, some of my sisters have been registered Republicans for a long time. My father's a Republican. So I was raised in a family with different political views, and you learn to engage in conversation across the those divides. Um, It doesn't mean that you always agree. I tell my students that I'm used to hearing different points of view. I treat the classroom like a democracy. Everyone has a voice. Every student's point of view is valid. Of course, respecting the basic needs of decorum and respect vis-a-vis, you know, so that everyone can feel safe expressing their point of view. I absolutely think that my students are interested. And I think that Probably, you know, there will be people from the community, there will be other professors, but I think students will be in the majority. You know, we've never had a president who's had absolutely no experience governing. And so we really have no idea what is going to happen. And so I actually experience, like Phyllis, my classes are very diverse politically. And what I've gotten back from both my Republican and my Democratic students is a fear and sort of not knowing what the future holds. One of the things that's been interesting with the cabinet appointments is they seem to like conflict with President-elect Trump's stated positions. And so I think there's this real sense of this is something different. Because we don't know what 2017 is going to be like, I think this is one way to feel like you can be empowered as a member of the Tucson community. This is a huge opportunity to sort of get the country you want because it's going to require you can't be passive anymore. You actually have to sort of be aware and engaged in a different level. And so I think that's kind of exciting. You know, what I want is for students, I guess I'm speaking to conservative students, which is you actually have the burden of being extra vigilant and knowing how to fight for and defend your positions is part of this teach-in process. So I sort of, we welcome you. I feel like, you know, the argument is like, we can't become a better country until we do this together. Thinking about what both Susie and Phyllis mentioned about differing opinions, I think when you think about the students at the University of Arizona, they represent a wide swath of the general population. 
One of the things we know, however, and this is true because we've hired a new senior diversity officer, Jesus Trevino, is that the university is committed to diversity and differing points of view. We need to continue to create a space where all opinions are listened to and can be assessed with a set of critical analytical skills. I think, you know, I'm surprised as a gay man who has been teaching for about 20 years. When I first started in the classroom in the 19, the late 1980s, coming out to students was a much bigger deal. When you tell students now that you're gay or lesbian or trans, and I have more and more trans students all the time, this generation of students is much more open-minded than we would even imagine. They know how to talk about difference in a lot of ways. Conservative students and less conservative students are friends on lots of levels, you know. They hang out in the same spaces, they frequent, you know, the same circles, and they do already frequent people who are different than themselves in many circumstances. They may not talk about their differences, but they certainly are in the same classroom, the same social gathering spaces in downtown Tucson. And they've grown up with, you know, their parents and their grandparents who have differing opinions. When I first came out to my father, a very stringent Catholic the first thing he said to me was, can you still go to Holy Communion? And I had to laugh because I had to learn to educate him about not only what it meant to be gay, but what it meant to be gay as a 20-year-old in the Catholic Church and to reach across a generational divide, to reach across a religious divide, to speak with somebody on their own terms and in their own terms. And that's what we're hoping uh, we're able to do during the teach-in is to continue to encourage students to develop those abilities. Let me just jump in here and affirm what Dennis said by giving an example of something that happened to me recently as a teacher. I teach a freshman seminar in the Honors College, and the Common Core reading this year was Claudia Rankine Citizen, an American lyric. And she's of Jamaican origin, but she came to the United States as a child. The epic poetry there and the images are all about racial identity in America. And it really is a tough and challenging text that was chosen by the seniors who left last year in the Honors College. In the fall semester, just last semester, I had about 20 students who were freshmen at the University of Arizona who were in a classroom together from different neighborhoods, from different high schools, coming from different, you know, family backgrounds. And they said that they were so grateful for the opportunity to talk freely in a safe space about different attitudes towards race. And to say in my high school, in my neighborhood, in my family, this is what I was exposed to. And to listen to each other, it makes us stronger. If we can sit there and have a civil discourse on how we perceive race and to admit that maybe we didn't notice that an image was racist and now that somebody discussed what, how they see it by exchanging views, we can think with more self-awareness and more information about what we bring to the table, you know, as learners and also as educators. It was a really exciting experience for me as a teacher and the students. They said that they were grateful and I was very gratified. 
So following up on Phyllis's comment, I want to bring up a contemporary political issue, which is a bill that's been introduced by Representative Thorpe, which is HB 2120. And this bill tries to forbid not only college events like this teaching, but also courses that try to address social justice towards a particular group. In other words, instead of providing a safe space, as Phyllis said, where you can discuss difference honestly and civilly and agree to disagree, what they're doing is making those conversations go underground, which we know people, even though Dennis says that people experience, I think it's actually very hard to have informed and frankly bringing the expertise of the academy into our analysis. I feel like Americans often have a form of collective amnesia about their past, about the world. And this is where having conversations that are led by faculty members who are used to leading these kinds of conversations can be incredibly helpful. As we think about like globalization and complicated economic circumstances, and honestly, the kinds of problems, moral and scientific, that we are going to have to face. We cannot do this without a sensitivity to differences, right? And knowing how you sound to other people or knowing, honestly, how to use the law as a form of protection is really crucial, again, to being an engaged citizen. I think that a lot of politics are probably very, very boring. And so, and I often I often say, like, politics should not be the main focus of your life, but you need to know when it has to be, right? And when democracies typically commit suicide, and they're often sold out by our elected officials. So if you look at transitions to authoritarian regimes in Latin America, they're killed without a whimper of protest. And so one of the things which we've seen is, and I, and I, I think about this all the time, like, you know, one, Americans often are ridiculously ignorant about their constitution. So like, you know, a constitutional protection against the separation of church and state, or, you know, there's no privacy in the Bill of Rights explicitly mentioned. And so what they think is there is not, right? And what we know from the past is every advancement has been fought hard for, and that rights can be won and lost. If you look at what happened to Reconstruction in the United States, you see African-Americans getting the right to vote, being elected officials, and then becoming oppressed under Jim Crow laws. There's no guarantee that democracy will continue on some sort of linear progression, getting better and better. What we see is that our history is one step forward, sliding back, one tiny step forward, and it comes through average Joe and Josephines fighting for those advances. Perhaps one last anecdote that's personal in nature. I was at a meeting for campus youth setting up this teaching, and there was discussion of, you know, well, if people resist, how to behave and to make sure that it doesn't turn violent, which is definitely not something we want. And I mentioned to my colleagues that um, there's an incident that happened in Marana Unified School District. 
uh, one day my daughter came home who's going to middle school at Miranda Middle School. She said, Mama, look at this. I said, what is it? It's a newspaper story. I think it came out in the Arizona Daily Star about Confederate flags being banned in all of Miranda Unified School District because there were so many students at the high school wearing them as capes that they became disruptive and they could no longer fulfill their mission to educate students because of this form of interruption, basically, of what people were there for. The story also talks about how the boys who had those flags took their trucks off campus and then set up shop across from the high school, insisting on still showing the flag, even though it was formally banned by the high school. The article also talks about how the administrators wrote to parents and said, don't send your kids to school with these flags. So this fits the um, topics of one of our speakers who's in the history department, Tawina Stepstow. And what her research shows is that you can't really understand the rise of the Ku Klux Klan and white nationalism unless you see it as a reaction. It's a reactionary movement to black progress. We can see the ways in which minorities are increasingly being targets of violence and as well as the way that it's become acceptable that the Ku Klux Klan endorsed Trump, right? And so you can't really understand that rise unless you recognize how it's not simply that the U.S. has a tradition of having hierarchical beliefs and ascriptive characteristics. It's also that these groups get more power when vulnerable populations make advancements. So in this way, we can sort of understand why does Trump promote, how does he gain popularity by being really the voice of the birther movement, right? And so there's something about the way in which this new administration seems to toy with really un-American ideas. And un-American ideas in the sense that they do not support political equality. They do not support the freedom of Americans. And frankly, they make this country scary. We'll have to leave it there. You've been listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. My guests today have been Suzanne Dovey, Associate Professor of the School of Government and Public Policy at the University of Arizona, Phyllis Tawa, Associate Professor of French and Francophone Studies at the University of Arizona, and Dennis Proventure, Professor and Head in the Department of French and Italian and Affiliate Faculty in the Institute for LGBT Studies. All three and others are organizers and uh, faculty involved with the teaching and March for Unity and Solidarity taking place on Friday, January 20th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at Old Main at the University of Arizona, along with a march onto El Presidio Park with music to follow.